Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Hi, I'm Laura Jost, the Associate Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care. Just halfway through the year and 2019 has been busy for biosimilars with new guidance and approvals, but the loss of a big advocate of biosimilars from the FDA. Here to give us an update on the latest in all things biosimilars is Kelly Davio, the Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care's The Center for Biosimilars. Kelly, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Laura. So, Kelly, give me a little bit of an idea of what happened that's been new with biosimilars since the beginning of the year. Well, some of the biggest news for U.S. biosimilars in 2019 has been related to people and not just to the products themselves. So in March, of course, FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb announced that he was going to be leaving the FDA. And that raised a lot of questions about how biosimilars would fare under new agency leadership. Gottlieb had been one of the most vocal proponents of biosimilars in the United States, and he took what many described as an activist stance toward calling out what he termed shenanigans on the part of the industry that were making the U.S. market for biosimilars less than viable. And of course, it was under Gottlieb's leadership that the FDA put forward its biosimilar action plan and approved quite a number of biosimilars. The agency also lost another of its primary biosimilars experts in February, and that was Dr. Leah Crystal, who moved to Amgen. So during her time at the FDA, Dr. Crystal was key in developing an approach to interpreting the Biologics Price Competition and Innovation Act, as well as negotiating and implementing the Biosimilar User Fee Acts. So Dr. Gottlieb was, of course, replaced by Dr. Ned Sharpless, and Dr. Crystal was replaced by Dr. Sarah Yim. And both of them have not been terribly vocal about how they feel about biosimilars. Although, to be fair, it would be challenging to be as vocal as Dr. Gottlieb on most topics. Uh, But both of these key figures have remained something of a question mark with respect to how they plan to approach biosimilars as part of the U.S. healthcare landscape. But having said that, we have seen multiple biosimilars approved since Gottlieb and Crystal have departed. So all signs would point toward biosimilars moving forward in the U.S. context. And we've also seen the issuance of two really critical pieces of guidance from the agency under Sharpless. And those are the finalized guidance on demonstrating interchangeability and on comparative analytical assessments and quality-related considerations. So both of those pieces of guidance have been eagerly anticipated. And what we're hearing from prescribers and developers alike is that while they may not be happy with every item contained in those documents, they appreciate the clarity that the guidances are providing and that allow them to plan for the future. In particular, we're hearing from physicians that they really appreciate the high bar for interchangeability. And from industry, we hear enthusiasm for the possibility to maybe use non-U.S. reference products in development. So at this point in the year, what biosimilars have been approved by FDA in 2019? So since January, we've seen the FDA approve five biosimilars, and that brings the total number of approved biosimilars as of the date of this conversation to 21. And while 21 might seem like a fairly impressive number, the biosimilars approved to date reference a much smaller number of molecules. So to date, we have two products that reference Avastin, five that reference Herceptin, two that reference Enbrel, two that reference Neupogen, two that reference Nulasta, three that reference Humira, one that references Epigen, three that reference Remicade, and one that references Rituxan. So essentially, we have biosimilars approved for nine originator molecules. 
And so like you said, that's a lot of biosimilars, but just for a small number of products. With some products having two or three biosimilars, others having one, are we seeing concerns that there are maybe more efforts to manufacture biosimilars around certain products and others maybe aren't getting the same attention? Not necessarily. So in large part, we're waiting for patent expiry for some of the molecules that are of interest. So there are a number of development projects in the works for products that are getting closer to reaching the end of their patent protections. And what's interesting about those biosimilars is that they're moving into different therapeutic areas than what we've seen targeted before. So there are a number of biosimilars in development for drugs that treat eye disorders. These would be biosimilars of drugs Ilea and Lucentis. And we're also aware of several programs targeting the asthma drug Zolaire. There's at least one program targeting Botox for all of its indications, both therapeutic and cosmetic. And what I think is perhaps the most interesting is that some of the biggest biosimilar companies, like Amgen and Samsung BioEpis, are quite far along with their programs for biosimilar Celeris. So this is a drug that treats rare and ultra-rare diseases. So we're talking about small patient populations but developers apparently see a lot of potential here, given that Solirist is one of the highest cost biologics on the U.S. market. So with all of these approvals, how many biosimilars are actually available in the United States right now that patients could actually get prescribed? Not very many. So, so far, seven biosimilar developers have announced launches of their products in the U.S., and all of those products that have been launched are either for supportive care, so your growth factors and epoet and alpha, or biosimilars of infliximab that treat inflammatory diseases. So as far as anti-cancer products are concerned, we haven't seen any launch in the U.S. market, despite the fact that we do have eight biosimilars of anti-cancer drugs. So another big thorn in the side of a lot of stakeholders in the biosimilar space is that biosimilars of some of the highest spend drugs in the United States are not going to launch anytime soon. All of the developers who have approved adalimumabs have struck deals with AbbVie, which of course makes Humira, to keep their biosimilars off the U.S. market until 2023. Even some developers who haven't even received approval yet or even filed for approval have made similar deals with AbbVie over their biosimilars. Then in the case of Etanercept, which has two approved biosimilars, referencing Enbrel, it's not clear when we could see a launch. So Sandoz's Arelzi has been involved in a complex and very lengthy litigation. So while this product was approved way back in 2016, we're still waiting for an outcome of its patent litigation. And meanwhile, Humira and Enbrel are really burdening the U.S. healthcare system. These two drugs were found in a recent Kaiser Family Foundation analysis to account for some of the highest employer spending on drugs, as well as some of the highest out-of-pocket spending for members of large employer plans, as well as Medicare Part D. So frustration is really growing among a lot of stakeholders about delayed market entry for these biosimilars. And speaking of the Humira deals, you recently spoke with two lawyers for a not-so-different podcast episode on pay-for-delay deals. They didn't believe that these deals were actually hurting biosimilars despite the noise coming from Capitol Hill. So can you explain their thinking? Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation. So I spoke with Imran Ali and Joel Wallace. They're both attorneys at Schiff Harden. And they made the case that these deals aren't pay-for-delay deals at all, but rather what they called pay-for-certainty deals. So patents are presumed to be valid in the U.S. context, and patent rights are at play in these disputes. So when there's a settlement around these patents, that allows a drug to launch before the last patents expire. 
so it allows for a certain launch date. In their view, that's net good for the industry and for the public. And again, in their view, we should be encouraging more settlements to give generic and biosimilar developers more of a reason to invest in creating follow-on versions of these drugs, knowing that they will be able to launch their product and at what time they'll be able to do so. And you can hear more from that conversation in episode 13 of our podcast, Not So Different. And is there anything being done to address the fact that these biosimilars aren't reaching the market? Well, there are a lot of policy proposals in play right now. There are proposed items of legislation that would do things like limit patent evergreening, which is a tactic whereby a drug company might make a minor change to a drug and then seek new patents on that change. We've also seen lawmakers call for the Federal Trade Commission to be given more oversight into patent settlements, such as those ones related to Humira, in order to address any potentially anti-competitive practices. And the American Medical Association has recently said that it wants to see states taking action against pharmacy benefit managers and their contracting practices, which putatively block biosimilars from formularies. And we've even seen researchers from MIT propose recently that the United States just scrap biosimilars altogether and simply regulate the price of innovator biologics. Now, that's a fairly bold proposal that has not seemed to gain much traction, um, but there's no shortage of policies on the table right now. The question is, which among these proposals is going to stick and how much of an appetite for legislative solutions the current Congress has And of course, which of these proposals is going to have the desired effect in the market? You know, given that the European experience with biosimilars relies on a completely different landscape for intellectual property and drug pricing, and of course, different healthcare systems, the United States really doesn't have a clear model to follow in making biosimilars work. Great. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for this latest update on biosimilars. Thanks so much, Laura. The Center for Biosimilars is a sister site of the American Journal of Managed Care. For more information about biosimilars, visit centerforbiosimilars.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at ajmc.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.